just close our eyes for a second and I just want you to take a deep breath in and a deep breath out and say, breathe, O breath of God. Breathe, O breath of God. He breathed and there was life. From the beginning, it's his breath in our lungs because he breathed the very life that we have. Isn't that beautiful? I love it when the Lord shifts things up because he knows what we need more than we do. <laughs> and sometimes we need to just remember that it, it's his breath in our lungs. And even when it's the only thing we can be grateful for that we feel like in this world, take a deep breath. Say, it's your breath in my lungs. And I don't want to waste a moment of his breath in my lungs. <laughs> that the purpose of everything that he has done might be fulfilled. So I want to discuss today the difference between our understanding of who God is and maybe answer some questions of why we feel the way that we do and we see things that we don't understand, even in who he is. So I, I started studying a few weeks ago about the difference between who God is as our Savior and who God is as our Lord. And in digging deep into this, it, I found it very, very interesting, some of the things that I thought was there that I misunderstood. The word Savior, depending on your translation, is in the Bible 157 times. Salvation is mentioned 156 times, but Lord is mentioned 7,753 times. And it got me very curious about why it was so different. And as I dug a little deeper, I realized how much I only accepted him as Savior and never received him as Lord of my life. 
And there's a big difference between the word Savior and the word Lord. And we must understand what the difference is. And so I'm going to bring some, some different definitions. And we're going to dive into this pretty deep. So to call someone your Savior is a person who saves, rescues, or delivers someone or something, especially a country or cause, from danger. Delivering from danger, rescuing from danger, saving. Someone who is regarded of a religious figure, God, Jesus Christ, as the redeemer of sin and savior of souls. In Romans 5.10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We are saved by the death of Jesus death and resurrection of Jesus, we are saved. Now when I think about it, when I think about our everyday life, if somebody, when do, somebody does something to save my life, save your life, let's say, um, I knew somebody in, in high school, they were on their college, uh, their high, they were on their senior trip, and um, they were walking down the street and they were going to cross and they were in a crosswalk and this random drunk driver wasn't paying any attention and was speeding and so they were driving through and one of the three people pushed the other two out of the way and died by saving two friends. In that moment, that person was their savior. There are things like that that happen throughout the entire world. You can hear different stories of that. When you're, when you're going to war, if you're in the military, you go to war, you battle and you war on behalf of your nation so that your nation might be saved. You would consider those people a savior in the moment, right? So when I think of that, of the different people who truly were there in pinnacle points of my life where I was going down a deep rabbit hole, <laughs> and they were there, they saved my life. How many of us can say we had a friend that saved our life because of being there for us? Our, our gratefulness for them being a savior in the moment is more, more expressive in the very beginning, right? We always want to do something to appreciate them. But we will not have them rule our lives. Now, when we look at the Lord, Lord in and of itself is a title that you carry. The Lord is his title. He is Lord. So what is the Lord? The Lord is someone or something having power, authority, or influence. 
a master or ruler. To say Lord is giving recognition to who he is in his office. So when we get saved, a lot of us look at the scripture, John 3.16, everybody you can quote, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I want to go into, from, go, do 16 through 20 of John chapter 3. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Practicing truth. Wrought, the word wrought in that scripture means beaten out or shaped. So here he says, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been shaped in God. And in moments, a lot of times it feels like deeds being manifested, having been beaten out of you by God. <laughs> and there is plenty of us who feel that, who have felt that. Nope, he definitely beat that out of me. <laughs> right? So, uh, Romans 14, verses 8 and 9. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, wherever, we, wherever whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. In Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He is Lord both of the, the dead and the living, our decision of accepting him as Lord does not change that he is Lord.
our decision to reject him as Lord over our life does not change the fact that he is still Lord. And every decision that we decide to do against him is going to be judged upon us. You cannot just believe in Jesus, but you must confess that Jesus is Lord. When I was driving into Lords, we have Lords in the world today. Okay, there's there's kings, there's queens, there's lords, there's dukes, and not not in the U.S. typically, but the service of a lord in the world have three main roles of what they do. And those main roles are making laws. They take in-depth consideration of public policy. And they are in charge of holding the government into account. So if he is Lord over your life, or Lord in your life, he should be helping you make laws upon your life. Rules. A lot of people hate Christianity because there's rules and regulations. It's, It's an understanding that the reason there's rules and regulations is exactly the same as having rules and regulations at a job site in the government. In, either, in anywhere that you go, you have rules of your house. Why? Because you want your child to be safe. You want them to be wise. You want your family to, to be able to be raised up in, in a good place to where they can know how to live life and be successful, right? So having laws or rules over ourselves are a good thing. And we need to stop taking it as if it was a bad thing. <laughs> um, so if the Lord is Lord, if He is Lord of your life, then He will have you have in-depth consideration of the public around you. How you respond affects the person next to you. The way your actions make somebody else feel. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have do unto you. There's rules, there's guidelines that he gives us for a purpose and a reason because he wants to make sure that everything that comes out is good. That we can truly show people what is good. That there is a reason why they want to believe in this God that desires so much just to be with you just to be a part of your life, just to be where you are. So the son of a Lord is called the honorable. How awesome is that? So as sons and daughters of the Lord, we should be the honorable to one another. That people should look at us and be able to say, there's honor. That's what honor looks like. 
They are the honorable people. The honorable is a title indicating distinction or eminence, recognizing superiority, especially within a particular sphere or profession. So as believers, as the honorable children of the Lord, we should be distinctly different in title and representation. that the world might know that he is God and that he is Lord over all. And that if we would learn to follow his rules and follow his guide and follow the words that he has to say, that we could be the honorable, the example of what true Sonship, what it looks like. So even the world labels what you should see in someone who is a son of the Lord. <laughs> so our foundation, in and of itself, the open door is receiving salvation. The foundation is the building up of the lordship of Jesus in our lives. There is a process that we must take because we just don't know until we know. But when you know, things should change. So John 12, chapter 12, verses 42 and 43 says, Nevertheless, Many, even of the rulers, believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Our decision to step outside of his obedience with fear of man is placing those people in front of God. It's saying that area of, the, of your life is not submitted to his lordship. First John 5, 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Proof of our love of God is confession and obedience. By this, we show that we love God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. There's a phase that it feels like it's a burden because you're learning to step outside of yourself and submit to his lordship. But when he's truly lord over those areas of your life, there is no burden in 
stepping into what he is saying and being obedient in those areas of your life. So confessing Jesus as Lord is to be a servant to the Lord. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Obedient unto death. And the dead in Christ will rise. And where there is death, there is life. Where there is death, there is life. When we die to our own self, our own selfish thoughts, our own selfish ambitions, the life of Jesus can fill in those places that we died to self. Where there is death, there is life. And we don't do it perfectly, but we should be doing it progressively. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> and no, we don't do it perfect. Not everybody does it perfect. We're not Jesus. But we should be doing it progressively. There should be a progression to what you are doing in your walk. To the walk that you live, you should see a constant progression. Those progressions are called fruit of your labor. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So as we become more obedient and we truly make him Lord over our life, Lord over everything, then we are truly crucified with Christ. Because all of ourself is submitted unto him. And therefore, we've been crucified with Christ. That he lives within us. And he moves within us. We all want him to move in and through us. Right? I don't think there's anyone that, wouldn't, that would say that they don't want God to use them for, for his call and his purpose in their life. But how many of us will say, well... I submit everything to you. Running to my running home to my family and oh I got to pick up my cigarettes again and I got to I got to do this for my job and I got to do 
I got to do this for my family. I got to do this for my kids. And I got to, uh, I've got all of these different things to do. Lord, I'm sorry. I just don't have time for you today. I can't read my word and I can't pray. I'm just too busy. Too busy. That day you decided what was your Lord. When we put something else in front of spending any time with him at all, that he has been put last. Romans 6, 6 or 7 says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. I think we need an awakening of the fact that the struggle of sin is that we are a slave to it. Why can't, why can't I put this down? Or why can't I stop doing, uh, why can't I stop doing this, that, or the other? Why can't I stop with the way that I say things? Why can't, why can't I stop going to these parties? Why can't I stop hanging out with these people I know I'm not supposed to hang out with? Like, why, why can't I stop doing that? Well, because you're being a slave to sin. I remember when um, my oldest son, he's, he's in Pennsylvania and he goes to Global Awakening um, School now. And I remember when he was struggling really bad with his identity and he was so angry and bitter for some things that had happened that he was trying to run and he had a couple of friends that he knew were doing things that he didn't want to do but He was trying so hard to run at the time. And I know as a mom how much it hurt my heart to see what he was going through. knowing that he was only doing it because he didn't understand why he went through some of the things he went through and he had to be so hurt and so he kind of got he got a little mad at God and so we made a we made an agreement with him 
and he took us up on the offer. And he went, and his life changed. And he followed God again. You know, he broke down, and he realized that what had happened to him was just an attempt to rob who he was. Sometimes we sin not because we even understand that that's what we're doing, but because of things that have happened to us before that we just didn't know what else to do. But no matter which one that you are, I know how it was as a mom. And I know that I know that the Lord, the Lord's heart on the things that have happened to his children hurt so much more than mine did that we couldn't even comprehend. There's a reason that the scriptures talk about in so many different things how there is the weeping women and the weeping women uh, will travail for different circumstances. And the Lord will have them in place to be able to travail for those who can't travail for themselves. So knowing this, when we accept him as Savior, our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. But we must learn to live a life of self-sacrifice. We do the things that we know we shouldn't do and We need to learn to desire the things that we should. So we should each day be crucifying those things that separate us from the love of God. And to crucify them is to reject them. The temptations that come. When we get this stirring in our spirit, I don't know, this, something just doesn't feel right. It probably is not right. And some of those can be simple things, like going to the grocery store at 12 instead of 1. And enabling the ability to listen to the Spirit is something that you grow in. But it is something that we should be doing progressively. Matthew 22, 37 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. For this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord, your God. Not just your Savior, but your Lord. And we learn to love 
the things that he speaks to us, that he tells us to do, even when it's outside of our flesh, because our flesh desires things that it should not want. And love each other. 2 Corinthians 3.19, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. When we... When we surrender it, we place him Lord of our lives, we can stand in the mirror and see the glory of the Lord. We can see what he says about us. We can see what he sees. The mirror is not just reflections of ourselves or of the things around us. The mirror should reflect the image of God. And he created man and woman in his image. So if you look in the mirror and you don't see that, that's a lie from the enemy because he created us in his image. The ability to be able to see how clearly and how bright and brilliant his face is depends on how closely and intimately we will be with him in obedience. Moses got on the mountaintop and his face shone so bright that people could not look at him. And we have an opportunity to sit with him all of the time. And as we sit with him, we see more and more of who he is, and we see more and more of his glory shine in our lives, even when trials come, because the trials become easier to deal with and easier to handle. They'll still be hard. There'll still be difficult trials, but our ability to handle the trials will be easier because we have more trust in the Lord and what he says is true. It is his truth that brings about the revelation and the ability to be able to walk in his fullness. We are to shod our feet. Ephesians 6. I'm going to pull that up real quick. Stand firm, having girded your loins with truth. You know you feel butterflies in your stomach when you first get together with somebody. There's an excitement. Why is it that truth is around your waist? 
When you plant a seed, and they talk about it in the spirit, when you plant a seed, may it be seeded in your belly and raise up out of you. May truth rise up out of you. From the heart, the mouth speaks. You can feel it in your gut when somebody is being deceiving. So can you not feel it in your gut when they have truth? There's a reason truth is around your waist. He wants you to know his truth. When you feel something is not right, you feel it in your, your stomach. The phrase that people say in the world is, trust your gut. Why would they say gut? Like, it's weird how they have, I think it's very interesting how they have worldly sayings that coincide with what the Lord says, too. Right? So you're transforming from glory to glory. When you look in the mirror and you feel bad about it, it is not truth. We need to be aware of what is truth and what is false. Oof, it's getting late. Goodness gracious. Good thing nobody really cares here. Second um, Timothy three. I'm going to read the whole chapter. We're going to take a minute in, in 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power and avoid such men as these. For among them, are those who enter into households and capt um, captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected as regards the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, as also that of those who came to be, those two came to be. But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, 
faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, training, and righteousness, and the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So no matter who we are, we all have the promise that difficult times will come. Whether you believe in God or not, difficult times will come. And they tell you exactly what's going to happen. And I think we see all of these today. Men, lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, and haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they denied the power within. We can't just desire godliness if we don't desire lordship. Godliness without lordship is doing you no good because it's not true surrender. To make him lord is surrendering and submission unto him. And what he says is true and leads us to where we should go. And it also gives a promise that there will be suffering. And there will be persecutions. But when you follow the teaching and the leading of your Lord, he does promise purpose and faith and love and perseverance and patience. How many times have we gone through things in our lives we felt like that we couldn't handle and we just said, Lord, help me endure this time. 
Persecutions come, whether you're a believer or not. But endurance comes from the Lord. So John 14, 19 through 21, after a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will disclose myself to him. Those who pursue will find. If you seek me, you will find me, says the Lord. Not just in church, but everywhere you go. In every situation that you get placed in, in every situation that you happen to stumble across, every situation that becomes difficult or hard, when you seek me, you will find me. He doesn't leave you in the difficult situation. He helps you and he stands with you and he provides a way where there seems to be no way. And he loves bigger and he loves greater than we could ever comprehend. If Oh, if we could just learn to know him more that we might see and taste that he is good. So what you do shows what areas of your life that Jesus is Lord of. I do, not, I do not recall the date in which I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I know there's a lot of people who do. They have that date memorized. And I don't have one of those. I was semi-raised in church. We bounced from church to church. But I had an idea of who Jesus my Savior was. But I do have a very definite, under, a definite knowledge of when Jesus became my Lord. And I allowed him to lead me and guide me and direct my path. And it was not until I allowed him to be Lord over my life that I found joy and peace and happiness in surrender. Sounds completely opposite than everything that you would think you would need to do to find what you are looking for. But in surrender, we find everything that we need. We find joy, we find love, we find peace, we find hope. And let me help break this down a little bit for you because majority of the reason why that makes it so simple is because it is no longer on your shoulders. You're no longer carrying the weight. You're trusting him and you're just following his guide so the, the weight is on him. Because you were never meant to carry it to begin with. 
So the gift of salvation is free. But for him to be Lord of your life, it will cost you something. It will cost you your flesh. It will cost you your selfishness. It will cost you the desire to do whatever you want to do, no matter the consequences. Act first and ask forgiveness later, right? I hear that a lot. (laughs) We'll just ask forgiveness later. It doesn't entirely work that way. (laughs) If we go into something saying, oh, I can just ask forgiveness and the Lord will forgive me, then you have preemptively, purposely sinned. You're sinning on purpose. And it's not a true repentance. So your cry for forgiveness because you knew what you were doing was going to be wrong prior to is not receiving the fullness of forgiveness. So I was was out at a lake this last week writing my book. And I was sitting outside early in the morning. And the sun was barely coming up over the horizon. And I was watching the water on the lake. And at this time of the morning, it was getting close to 6 a.m. And, and the way that this area was lowered and the rest of the land had these, had these pitches, most of this area was, was lower beneath the regular level of the land. So it made the perfect timing for the fog, the morning fog. And it was so beautiful. And as I was sitting there and I was watching the fog hover the, hovering over the land and the water, I was watching the fog move over the water. And then something in the water moved. And it created some ripples in the water. And as the water began to move, the fog began to move. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, your actions show the spirit where he can move. And you can take that two ways. In this moment, I was, I was receiving it and I was like, oh, well, as we move, The Spirit is seeing how to move. So if you're moving with the Spirit and you're seeing what the Spirit is is wanting to do, then it makes it easier for Him to move the way that He wants to move. When you're in worship and you're surrendering all to the Lord and you're just entering in and giving Him worship and praise and adoration, There is a different weightiness to the spirit that enters the room. And it brings about more freedom to be able to do everything that he wants to do with every person that's in the room. 
And the same thing goes with the adverse effect. When we make the decision to move against what the Spirit is saying, it pushes the Spirit back. And we are rejecting the very thing we've been asking to move in our life. And we are pushing him away, saying, nope, this is not an area for you. So the next morning, I got up and I went about I went out about the same time and I just sat there and I was praying and and I was worshiping the Lord and just talking having a conversation with him and the more that morning the the fog was was thicker than the day before and the water was so still And as I was watching, the fog just was so thick and the air was, was more crisp. It was pretty cold outside, but I was just watching the water and there was, there was no movement on the waters, but it seemed perfectly still. And in that moment, I heard the Lord once again speak to me and say, notice in the stillness, the spirit is able to move everywhere freely and the spirit gets thicker and can go higher. And then he reminded me of the verse of be still and know. When we sit and we're still, we just say, Lord, do whatever you want to do and just worship and adore him as Lord over your life and just thank him for how glorious he is and just reside in his presence to where you feel just the spirit move and if you haven't this is something that you should you need to do find a time a place where you can sit and be still and play some worship music, instrumental worship music, whatever it may be that will help you silent your mind. And just say, Lord, I'm here for you. And just wait upon him. And just adore him and love him. And I was, <laughs> I was just sitting there and I was so... I was so blessed and my heart was warmed even though it was so cold outside <laughs> that he took a moment to give me even one line of how he moves in the secret in the quiet place in the stillness you are there he reveals secrets in those quiet places and the weightiness of his words. Because you can hear something from someone else, but when you hear it from him, you remember. You remember. I have given prophetic words. I've been given prophetic words, but I normally, like, I need to write them down. I need to record them. I need to do something 
but I remember what the Lord says to me. And I don't have to try to remember and say, man, that was a good word, but I wish I could remember it all. And he desires and yearns and longs to be that close. He says, if you would just allow me to speak into your life in every area, not just where you should go to church or what job you should get or you're needing help with your family or you're needing help with your friends or you're needing help with your finances or you're needing help. Like, he wants to hear your needs, but he wants to love you more. And he wants a relationship with you, not just a prayer list. He knows what is best. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. So the question is, is he your Savior? Or is he your Lord? And for those of you who do have him as your Lord of some of your life, the deeper question is, is what areas of my life are you not my Lord? Have I not given you the place of being my Lord? And so we gather in this place, and I know this is, I, <laughs> the Lord always does this to me. This was one of those things that um, I was like, I, I told the Lord, I was like, I'm not sure I know how to give this sermon. Because I, <laughs> I'm not the fluffy preacher, for sure. <laughs> I am not a fluffy preacher. But I have a heart and a passion for revelation, for a deeper knowledge, a deeper understanding of who God is. And I took so long refusing to read his word that I, hate, I hated reading for the longest time and I was told I was stupid for most of my life, which is why I hated reading. I forgave and I desired to read and I desired to learn and I desired to grow. So if that's something that has been an issue for you, you need to first and foremost ask, Lord, who caused me to hate your word? Because his word is a part of who he is. And if you don't have a craving or a desire to understand his word or to read his word or be a part of that piece of him as who he is, then there is a reason that that is a part of your life. And you need to find out why that is an issue. I found out why that was a problem for me. And when I forgave... I overcame. And when I overcame, that hunger grew inside of me in a way I never thought I would even think about doing. It was not a thought. It just happened. And I would be doing a fallacy to the Lord if I did not give you an understanding 
that he can't just be someone you call Savior when you come into a building. You can't go on the street and be like, oh yeah, I know Jesus. And stay stuck where you started. Stay giving in to the things that you have been striving to change in your life anyway. There are parts of our life that we didn't even think we needed to change until you realize what it's doing to you because you didn't know it was doing it to you. But when you know, you know, but you have to find out. And without somebody being brutally honest with you (laughs) and telling you something that most people will not talk about, then you're never going to understand and you're never going to learn. You're never going to go deeper. And this would be doing an injustice to the Lord. So you close your eyes with me. Will you play some pads or something? Altar music, please, Chris. And I want you just to picture. I want you to, I want you to see. I want you to picture the Lord in front of you. I want you to see him, not just as Savior who died on the cross, but Lord standing in your midst. I want you to hear his cry for you of how much he yearns and longs, saying, my daughter, my son, Oh, how I long for you. Oh, how I yearn just to be closer to you. I want to know you more. And I can hear him singing it. Yeah, the Lord sings over you. He sings over you. And for all those who have struggled with being able to truly see him, he says, I want to know you, really know you. I want to know you more. I want to know you and long to show you nothing matters more. I hear him crying for you. See, if you just let me in, just let me in to those areas that you've been so afraid of letting go of I can change it in an instant I can change it in a moment if you'll trust me just trust me to be Lord of that area of your life that you've been so resistant on
long to show you. I want to be here in your presence. I want to hold your hand in every area, in every place that you walk, in every place that you go, in every move that you make at every moment, the good, the bad, the ugly, the glorious, the celebrations. I want to rest on you with peace because it was my gift to you. It is my joy to give it to you. I can only give where you will let me. So we say, Father, do whatever you want to do. And if you don't know God as your Savior yet, all you got to do is say, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I know you lived, you died for me. And I receive it. Let go of my past. Show me how to walk in the future. And this altar is open for anybody who wants to come up and lay at the altar, cry out. We'll have uh, we'll have our prayer team up in a little while, but I want this time to be for you to be able to lay before the Lord any areas that need to be laid down. God is my refuge. God is my strength. He's my very present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains of life try to overwhelm me, though the tsunami waves of chaos roar and crash, though the world around me quakes with swelling pride, my God is a river of peace flowing with streams of joy in the midst of it all the holy dwelling place of the Most High God. My God is in the midst and will not be moved. God will help when morning dawns. 
Now the nations may uproar and the kingdoms may totter, but he raises his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with me. God is my stronghold. Come and behold the works of the Lord who has shaped the earth. He makes wars to cease in all the earth. He breaks the chains and he breaks the curses off of my life. He burns the armies of darkness with fire. So cease striving and know that I am God, says the Lord. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with me. The Lord God is my stronghold. And the Lord God is my strong tower. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.